0: one thing I've discovered about delivering sermons you never think that you're well prepared enough so you know that's what I think this morning and hopefully uh, you're probably gonna think that too (laughs) so today we move on in Advent and we talk about peace but before we talk about peace we'll talk a bit about uh, lost items so this is participatory you know interactive so how many of you have ever lost anything Okay, there are some people whose arms don't work this morning, but... (laughs) We've all lost things over time, right? And it's been noted that, on average, people spend about 10 minutes a day looking for lost items, misplaced items. So that works out to about 153 full days in a year. So what are some of the things that uh, people typically lose? Lose their mind. Wallets I heard. Keys. Glasses. Okay. Sunglasses I think more than regular glasses. Gloves. Kids. Lose kids. Okay. So I looked on the internet and one of the items they mentioned as number 19 out of the top 20 was cars. And I, I remember a story that I read, a true story. This lady in the States went to a large shopping mall and did her shopping, and then when she came out, she couldn't locate her vehicle. So after looking diligently for a while, she went back in the mall, got hold of a phone. This was the days before cell phones, and uh, phoned the police and said, somebody has stolen my vehicle. So police said, okay, okay. Uh, I'll be right there. So they sent a policeman over, met her at the mall, and the policeman said to her, well, what kind of uh, make was it? And she says, I don't know. What kind of model is it? She says, I don't know. Well, he says, who does know? Oh, my husband knows. He says, he's at work. And uh, she, she says, we just bought the car, so it's new to me. So anyway, the policeman phones the husband up, and the husband gives the policeman information. He goes out in the parking lot, and within minutes, he finds the vehicle. So he finds out, really, that what he was looking for was a brand-new station wagon with a red canoe tied on top. (laughs) So somebody said on the Internet, the best way to find an item is to go and buy a replacement. So if we could have slide two up, please. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what kind of peace is Jesus talking about here? What does he want his disciples to realize about this peace? That's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning. But before we get into it, let's just open in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you again for this day. We pray, Father, that as we look into your word, that Jesus and Jesus only be lifted up. And, Father, that your word might penetrate each and every heart here, that we might hear what you have to say to us today. And most of all, Father, we pray that we might leave this place in peace. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I think the first thing we need to realize that this time was a time of great emotion for Jesus, a time when he realized what lay ahead. And if we go back in chapter 14, right near the beginning, he starts off by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he uh, talks about being trusting in God and trust also in me, he says. He also tells them that he is the way to the Father and that he is leaving the comforter, the Holy Spirit, with them. Back in today, and probably still today, peace or peace beyond you was a common greeting and leave-taking in the Middle Eastern countries. Back in Jesus' day, it brings us to a state in society where every stranger might be an enemy. And so you said, peace beyond you, and hope that they felt the same way towards you, that they only wanted Peace. It's interesting if you go through the Bible and you find out Jesus appearing to his disciples after the resurrection, that he said, peace be with you. So one of the things that we know is that when Jesus uses common words or phrases, they deepen their force and meaning just because of who he is, because of the substance behind them. He gives his disciples a real gift. What he says will happen. So he starts off by saying, peace, I leave with you. And then to emphasize it, it's sort of like he says, hey guys, I really want you to understand what I'm saying here. He says, my peace, I give to you. When we die, our last will and testament states what things that we are leaving behind and who they're going to. However, it all deals with just material things. We can try to leave peace and love and joy to our descendants, but it really has no impact. It has no power. We have no power to ensure that that will happen. The legacy that Jesus is leaving his disciples includes peace, and it's his peace. Just as a little bunny trail, when we look at what Jesus left behind, Jesus, before he died, he committed his spirit to the Father. He bequeathed his body to Joseph of Arimathea to be properly buried. His clothes fell to the soldiers. And he committed his mother to the care of John. So what was he going to leave his disciples? And what he left with his disciples was his peace. And the peace that Jesus leaves isn't the kind of peace that men can leave. It's only the kind of peace that... That God can give. He gives us peace because he gives himself. In order to have this peace, first of all, we need to have peace with God. And if you're here this morning and you don't have peace with God, realize that that peace is available. In the book of Romans, we read that all have sinned. Each one of us has sinned in our lifetimes. We continually sin. And in Romans, it also tells us that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. And it also goes on to say that God showed his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got better. He died for us in our sinful state. And then Romans goes on to say that we need to confess Christ with our mouth, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and we will be saved. So it's possible for anyone on this earth to have peace with God. We need to make that commitment to ask Jesus into our hearts. So if we've already made that commitment another prerequisite for peace is that we need to have peace within ourselves. Often we lose that peace. It's hard to Keep that peace all the time there are so many things that can draw us away from having that peace we as Christians can be in the spirit one minute and in the flesh the next we've all failed often and fallen into sin but God has made a way back the secret to the overcoming Christian life is to repent quickly to confess our sin and get back into fellowship with God So just a few items here. There must be no stinging conscience. We need to search ourselves. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, beautiful verse. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Beautiful thoughts there. There must be no unsatisfied desires. We as humans often think that if we only had this or that, then life would be great, and we would truly be happy and have a lot of peace. We might wish for a better job, a better house, a better husband, a better wife, better children, and the list could go on and on. Oh, I wish I had this or that, and then I would be content. But there can be no real peace in our hearts until we come to the point where Christ alone satisfies. Someone has said, obtaining the world without Christ amounts to nothing. Christ without the world is more than enough. And there must be no no conflict between inclination and duty. If we cannot freely give of ourselves and our time to God, and we start to resent the things that we are doing in order to fulfill our Christian duty, then we really don't have peace. If we get to the point where we lose our joy in service, we need to step back and have a real serious talk with God and find out how to move forward from there. It might mean taking a break from service for a while, or it might mean dealing appropriately with the reasons for our lack of joy in service. Have I brought it on myself? And my attitude needs to change? Am I blaming others? Is there justification for my blame? And if so, how do I deal with others in a loving manner in order to bring harmony and peace to the situation? So in order to have real peace, there must be no unsatisfied desires. There must be no conflict between inclination and duty. And third, there must be peace with others. We are exhorted to live at peace with others. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone and there are no doubt times when truth and justice must be preferred to peace and differences which are widened by saying peace peace when there is no peace but we must be careful not to multiply those times if you receive an angry email don't answer it. If somebody gives you an angry look, take no notice of it. If you notice a quarrel starting, throw cold water on it. Now we move on to the next part of the verse. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Jesus' words in this instance seem mainly to refer to the manner of giving. The world gives in one way, Christ gives in another. The world gives conventionally, in other words following accepted standards of behavior or taste Christ gives sincerely the world gives superficially Christ gives substantially the world gives partially but Christ gives wholly. the world gives capriciously or when it wants to well I feel like it today but I don't feel like it tomorrow Christ gives constantly and the world gives temporarily Christ gives eternally The last part of the verse says let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid here in this last part of John 14 27 Jesus again repeats the phrase he said in verse 1 at the beginning of the chapter let not your hearts be troubled but he also adds let them not be afraid the word rendered here afraid occurs nowhere else in the New Testament it points especially to the cowardice of fear and now we get to a teaching moment in this sermon. And I was never very good at grammar, English. You know, I know there's nouns and there's verbs and there's adverbs and there's adjectives. That's about as far as I got, I think. So in doing the study, I found out that the cognate substantive of this word is used in 2 Timothy 1.7. So, a substantive, here's, here's what a cognate substantive is. A substantive functioning as the object of a verb, especially of a verb that is usually intransitive, when both object and verb are derived from the same root. Speech, in speak the speech is a cognate object. Okay, so everybody got that? <laughs> I don't know, if you don't, go home and look it up and try again. I'm, I've given up trying. In the ESV, in 2 Timothy 1, seven, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In the NIV it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So we've talked about the cognate substantive. Now the adjective of that word in... in John 14:27. it's actually used three times in the New Testament. Twice it refers to the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? So the adjective is used there in those two instances, and the adjective is also used in Revelation 21, 8, where the NIV translates it as cowardly. So the peace of Christ has its seat, not in circumstances, but in the heart. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what are some of the effects of peace? One is joy. You read through the New Testament, and joy and peace are continually put together. Love. So if you are at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, then your only desire is to love Him who died for you. In holiness, if you are at peace with God, you don't wish to go into sin because you don't want to lose that peace. I'm going to just look at some verses that talk about peace in the New Testament. Ephesians 2.14 starts out, For He Himself is our peace. Philippians 4.7 And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Galatians 5.27 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I personally believe that you cannot have any of these in isolation. You can't have just love. You can't have just patience. You can't have just goodness. You either have them all or you have none at all. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe the fruit of the Spirit consists of all nine of these at the same time. Beautiful verse in Psalm 85, verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What a word picture that brings to mind. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. And we can only have peace in our hearts if we are living righteous lives. We need to be living submissive, obedient lives. So just uh, get into about three stories here. First one: David Livingston. How many of you heard of David Livingston? Hey, okay, David Livingston was a medical missionary who spent a lot of time in Sub-Sahara, sub-Saharan Africa. And this goes back to a time when he had already spent 16 years, and he was going moving on through parts of Africa. And actually, he happened to be camped beside a a river. There was a large clearing and a river, and there was jungle surrounding. And somebody came and said to Mr. Livingston that the local chief was trying to raise up opposition against him and was trying to kill him. And that these people were already closing in on the camp. So alone in his tent, Livingston opened his Bible to the promise on which he had staked his life so often. Then he wrote in his journal, January 14, 1856, Evening, felt much turmoil of spirit in view of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region and teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. But I read that Jesus came and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." It is the word of a gentleman of the most sacred and strictest honor, so there's an end on it. I will not cross furtively by night as intended. So he had planned to try and sneak across the river at night. So in his company in that camp, there was 114 people in total, and one of his porters came to him and said, Mr. Livingston, you know, we need to get out of here. Uh, but he said, Well, no, I'm going to do things the right way here. So what happened is they got up in the morning, they packed up their camp, and the chief with a number of his warriors were at the edge of the jungle. And the porter said to David, hurry up, get in a canoe and take off. You know, they're still standing there. And David went over to them and thanked the chief and the other warriors for letting them pass through their territory. And the porter said, hurry, hurry, I don't want you to be the last one in the canoe. He's going to shoot you in the back. But apparently David Livingston just walked calmly. He took the last canoe and crossed. So after 16 years, I guess he'd learned a few things of trusting God and walking in Him. Now we move back in time to uh, Waterloo. Who's heard of Waterloo? few people. Okay, there was a battle of Waterloo. I found out that Waterloo used to be in the United Kingdom of the Netherlands. This was back in uh, Sunday, June 18th, 1815. And they had the Battle of Waterloo on that day. Napoleon versus uh, Allied armies. And on that day, many people died. And one soldier got wounded, and his friends took him back and laid him under a tree. And he said, before you leave me, he said, please, grab my pocket Bible out of, ma- out of that knapsack, and uh, read John 14:27 to me, please. So the other soldier took the Bible out and read John 14, 27 to that dying soldier. And the soldier said, Oh, he says, now I have the peace of God which passes all understanding. So his other, the soldier left him to die alone there But before he passed on, an officer came along and saw him lying there and said, friend, are you okay? And he says, no, I'm going to die soon. But I have the peace of God which passes all understanding. And he breathed his last. So the officer went on, and then he was mortally wounded in battle. He's laying there, and a couple of his fellow officers come, and he says, oh, he says, you know, if I had 10,000 worlds, to, to, if I possessed 10,000 worlds, I would give it all to have that peace of that soldier who said he had the peace of God, which passes all understanding. He says, I die miserable, for I die in despair. Another story going even further back in time, talking about a Swiss believer. And this Swiss believer was going to be burned at the stake. So they had him tied to the stake already and they had all the material to be burnt underneath him. And just before they were going to light the flames, he said to the local magistrate that was there that was overseeing his execution, he said, magistrate, he says, please come, lay your hand on my heart. He says, for I am about to die in the flames. He says, lay your hand on my heart. And if my heart is beating any faster than normal, then don't believe my faith. So the magistrate came over and he was uh, filled with emotion and his heart was pounding pretty fast and he put his hand on the man's heart and he felt for a while. And what he felt was that this man's heart was as calm as if he was going to bed rather than going to be burned shortly. What a testimony of having the peace of God within your heart. So we started out today by talking about the time and effort we put in to find lost items. We heard the story of the woman who couldn't even remember a description of the family's brand new car. But how well can we describe God and what he has done for us? He wants us to draw near to him and get to know him. How much more important is it to please, how much more important is it to spend time and effort in getting to know God better? Hebrews 11.6 says, "And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here we are told that God will reveal himself to those who make the effort to seek him. We are making an eternal investment If we spend time seeking God. But it is also a great investment for each day, for the present. God gives us so much, but we have to put in the effort in order to experience God's gifts to us. It doesn't necessarily come easy. The peace that Jesus is talking about is peace in our hearts and souls during our most difficult times. But we don't gain that peace unless we have established good habits of reading the Word spending time in prayer, and having a mindset of taking up our cross daily. God wants us to experience victory every day. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us the key to that victory, and that key is abiding in Him. So that's the sermon for this morning.